I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Numbers chapters 21 and 22. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We begin in chapter 21 with King Arad. He gets a taste of Jewish wrath. Verse 1. The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Well, I guess two million people parading through the wilderness is a little unsettling. At least it was to King Arad, the Canaanite, whose people lived in the southern part of modern-day Israel, also known as the Negev. As Israel had turned west to avoid the Edomites, who denied them passage in Numbers chapter 20, this king fights Israel and takes some prisoners. Bad idea. Subsequently, Israel vows to the Lord to destroy these Canaanites, and they do. After the destruction of these aggressive Canaanites and their cities, the place is renamed Horma, and that's a Hebrew word meaning destruction. Beginning in verse 4 of chapter 21, we read about snakes. Verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us, so Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Well, having been denied passage through Edom, Israel had to go around, which meant turning back southwest toward the Red Sea. They're going in the wrong direction now, and then the unthinkable happens in verse 5. It says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now keep in mind, this is not the same generation that left Egypt 40 years or so ago. But still, I mean, how could they? Haven't they learned anything? Verse 6 says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. When the people cry out in repentance and plead for relief, God doesn't just take away the snakes. Instead, he provides a remedy that required individual faith after being bitten. 
This fiery brass serpent that extended above the camp is referenced by Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 14, as he prophesied his own death on the cross. Here's what he said. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So if you had the faith to look at the brass serpent after being bitten, then you were healed. And then we talk about directions in chapter 21, beginning with verse 10. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Aji Abarim in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. From there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered. From there they moved and camped on the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahib and Sufa, the brooks of the Arnon, and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar, and lies on the border of Moab. From there they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. And from the wilderness they went to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahalael, from Nahalael to Bamoth, and from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. Well, let's face it, traveling with two million people is a challenge. We see them headed anywhere but toward their destination due to the logistics of finding a peaceful route. Canaan is north, but they had to head east in these verses. We find a quotation from the Book of the Wars in verses 14 and 15. No portion of such a book remains extant beyond what's quoted here. It apparently was a compilation of songs about the conquest of Israel. If you're listening but not looking at the notes, there's a nice map that gives you a point of reference on some of these places. Verse 21, how about that king Sihon? Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelled in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity. To Sihon, king of the Amorites, but we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon. Then we laid waste as far as Naphah, which reaches to Mediba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, 
and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. Now, Israel's on the east side of the Dead Sea looking for a way north. They send a request to King Sihon. He's an Amorite who had conquered this region of the Moabites, and they ask permission to pass through his land. They even give a pledge that they'll not disturb any of his resources. Well, not only does King Sihon decline, he attacks them. He should have taken them up on their first offer. The Hebrews wipe him out and set up housekeeping right there in his land, the land of the Amorites in Moab. This serves as a temporary base of operation for the Israelites. If you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, you'll see the map that shows Israel's now conquered and lives between the river tributaries, Jabak on the north and Arnon on the south, just east of the Jordan River. Incidentally, Amorites were a Canaanite race of people found also in various locations west of the Jordan River as well. According to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 17, these Amorites were to be driven from Canaan upon Israel's entry there, along with the other tribes of the Canaanites. Owen Chemosh in verse 29. That was the national god of the Moabites. Then we find, beginning in verse 33, that King Og, well, he fares no better. Verse 33. And they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land." Well, heading further north, King Og decides this just won't do, and he attacks Israel. He's defeated, and Israel moves in there as well. This battle becomes a legendary event in Israel, and King Og, by the way, gets mentioned in several other Old Testament passages, including Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, where there it's said of him in verse 11, the following, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstand was an iron bedstand. Is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. And that's the end of the quote. So here's a guy whose claim to fame ends up being that he slept in an iron bed nearly 14 or so feet long. But he lost the battle to the Israelites. Just as I said, he was a legendary figure in Israel's history. Look at all the mention that we find in Scripture of this man. In Deuteronomy 4, Joshua 2 and 9, 12, 13, 13 again, and 13 again. 1 Kings 4, Nehemiah chapter 9, Psalm 135, Psalm 136. Man, King Og certainly left an impression, didn't he? A footnote to the battles against King Sihon and Og is in order here. As Joshua recaps those victories, here's what he says about God's role in those battles in Joshua chapter 24, verse 12. He says there, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. In other words, Israel had superhero-type help in those battles. Now consider these verses from Exodus chapter 23 in verses 20 to 33. I'll just read you three of those verses in that section. In Exodus chapter 23 verse 20, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. 
in verse 27 of chapter 23 of Exodus, it says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And then in verse 28 of that same chapter, it says, And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. So it seems quite clear here that supernatural help from an angel accompanied by hornets was what God intended from the very beginning. Now, in chapter 22, we kind of shift gears, and we meet a guy named Balaam. Verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with his princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, 
and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So here we have Balaam. Was he a good prophet who went bad or a bad prophet who attempted to go right? Well, he certainly gets a lot of mention later on in Scripture. Numbers 31, Deuteronomy 23, Joshua 13 and 24, Joshua chapter 11, Nehemiah 13, Micah 6, 2 Peter 2, Jude verse 11, Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. And I might add, none of those are in a noble context. The Moabite king Balak summons this Midianite prophet to put a curse on Israel in verse 6. I guess desperate situations call for desperate solutions. Now, Balaam is neither a good prophet who went bad, nor is he a bad prophet trying to be good. Admittedly, it's a little difficult to get a clear take on Balaam. Incidentally, the Ammonites are implicated in this scheme, along with the Moabites, when we get over to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, when Moses recaps this occasion. So here's what we do know about Balaam from Numbers chapter 22. He maintained the reputation of being a soothsayer. He did actually have communication with the one true God, Jehovah. He refers to God as the Lord my God in verse 18. God was angry with Balaam for going. Balaam acknowledges sin before God in Numbers chapter 22 verse 34. And Balaam recognized that he had no power himself to curse Israel 
in Numbers chapter 22, verse 38. However, we see in chapters 23, 24, and 25 of Numbers, and then Numbers chapter 31, that Balaam conspired with Israel's enemies to bring them down. So here's our conclusion. He is altogether a pagan prophet who just happens to get a word from the Lord on this occasion. There's nothing that vindicates his previous or later role as a prophet of the one true God. After some failed attempts to get Balaam to cooperate, Balaam gets a word from the Lord in Numbers chapter 22, verse 20. Here's that word. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Then it gets a little bit confusing. What exactly did God tell Balaam to do? And why was God displeased with Balaam when he seemingly did it? As it says in verse 22, Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Well, obviously Balaam went, but apparently with the wrong intentions. Of course, God knew what his intentions were. We see this in verse 32 when God tells Balaam, Your way is perverse before me. The Hebrew word there translated perverse means hastily and without proper deliberation. Because of this, immediately God turns against Balaam's action, and it says the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Balaam's prophetic skills come into question in my mind at this point. When the donkey can see the angel of the Lord, but Balaam cannot see the angel of the Lord. As Balaam is beating his donkey, the donkey speaks. Now we see Balaam carrying on a conversation with his donkey, who verbally alerts Balaam about the presence of the angel of the Lord. Balaam acknowledges his sin at this point. Of course, God knew Balaam's motivations for going in the first place. And God instructs Balaam to go ahead, meet Balak. And at the end of this chapter, Balak and Balaam were overlooking the massive encampment of Israel. So what will Balaam do? What will Balak do? Well, this Balaam-Balak plan continues to unfold in Numbers chapters 23, 24, and 25, with the final outcome of this plan in Numbers chapter 31. Ultimately, Balaam's intentions and actions are all wrong. Now hang on, we're headed up the east side of the Jordan River, and it's not far now. But we'll continue this story when we get to chapter 23 in a couple of days. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.